Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 213 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and HR specialist, and I run the firm Real Employment Law Advice, where together with my colleagues, we provide both advice and assistance to employers and employees on all aspects of employment law. One of the things that we specialise in is employment tribunal cases, and that includes both bringing claims and defending claims on behalf of employers. So if you have any issues in relation to employment or in employing staff, or you have any claims that have been made against you and you'd like some impartial and independent advice on that case, then please don't hesitate to get in touch. Myself and my colleagues would be very happy to help you. And we offer a range of solutions in relation to the costs for both pursuing a claim and defending a claim. So we're happy to chat that through with you. You can contact us on the main number, which is 01983-897-003. And my colleague Kathy, who answers the phones, will be very happy to take your details and arrange for a callback with a solicitor. In this week's episode of the podcast, I have a case review for you. And so without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. So what I'm talking to you about today is a case that has been heard by the Employment Tribunal in Watford back in May and the judgment was published in July. And this is a case where it's been made against a firm of solicitors. And the case is Mr. A. Guller versus Newman Law LLP. And the reason this case came to my attention was not through the normal channels in relation to employment law updates, but rather through an article on the Law Society Gazette. So because it was against a solicitor's firm, it was published and detailed in summary in the Law Gazette. And it's an interesting case for a number of reasons, not least because it's about a solicitor's firm. So proving that obviously, even if you work in the law, you can get things wrong. But it's an interesting case because it's about the status of somebody. So in this case, Mr. Guller was asserting that he was an employee of the firm, whereas the solicitor's firm, Newman Law LLP, the employer, were saying that he wasn't an employee. And so it gives some helpful information, I think, for you in relation to how you distinguish those statuses of people between employee and worker. So by way of background, Mr. Guller had been engaged by the firm Newman Law LLP and his job was essentially to leverage his connections within the Turkish community to try to attract a Turkish client base and their business to the firm. Now his account of events was that during the interview he had been offered a position as a paralegal. He asserted that he was offered this position and that it was a mix between being a paralegal and a legal consultant and that he had been expecting a salary of £2,000 per month plus commission of 40% of the fees to which he introduced to the firm. 
So his evidence was, or his position, was that he was effectively an employee, employed as a paralegal, with a mixture of both um, salary and commission. Now, the firm, the employer's position in this situation was that they had considered him for a paralegal role, had decided that he didn't have adequate experience, and therefore they offered him the opportunity to be a consultant so that they could utilise his connections within the Turkish community so he could introduce clients to the firm. And in return, they were going to pay him 40% of the fees generated from those clients that he had introduced. Now, whilst there was some correspondence about this, nothing was really set out in writing. So there was no contract confirmed, no real terms confirmed, and which hence why I think the case got to this point with the employment tribunal making their decision. Now, after a couple of months, they decided that actually he wasn't fit for the role for which they had engaged him. And in the employer's position was that they engaged him as a consultant and therefore all that was owing was any commission. And from the information that is provided in the facts of the case, it seems like that Mr. Gala hadn't really done anything to generate any fees and there had been a payment up front to him for fees. And so they were, were saying, well, actually, we don't actually owe you anything at all. The firm in this case, the employer, we'll call them, denied that he was an employee. And when Mr. Guller made a claim, he claimed that he was owed money. So he claimed for unauthorised deductions from wages and also breach of contract. In their defence, the firm here, Newman Law LLP, said, we don't actually have any paralegals, any employees who are paid both salary and commission. Paralegals are paid salary which is of approximately 20,000 per year and um, we do have some consultants who are receiving commission only in the region of 40 or 50 percent similar to that which was offered to Mr Guller. They were very clear on their position and they said he was not an employee of the firm, he was not engaged on the same terms as paralegals and it was very clear what we were offering him from the outset. So in relation to Mr. Guller's claims, because he'd been employed for less than two years, he didn't have any claim in relation to unfair dismissal or anything like that. He'd actually only been employed or engaged, should I say, by the firm for approximately two months. And so his claims were only in relation to wages and breach of contract. But still, the employment tribunal had to consider what his status was. They had to look to section 230 of the Employment Rights Act to see whether he was a employee or a worker. Now as a worker he could of course bring a claim for unlawful or unauthorised deductions from wages but he couldn't bring a claim for breach of contract which was reserved to that of an employee. Now in this case the employment tribunal considered the evidence that was provided by both parties and they decided that whilst Mr Guller was not an employee he was clearly distinguished from those other people who were engaged as employees, as paralegals, who were paid salary. They did decide that he was a worker. So his status, therefore, was as a worker. And they gave several reasons for this decision. The first was he was required to attend at the office. There was a degree of control over his hours. There was a degree of control over the location of his work. There was a degree of control over what work he did. 
He was integrated into the firm. He had an email address and a phone number that the firm provided. He carried out the work personally and could not provide a substitute so he can provide someone else to do the work for him. And tasks were delegated to him by one of the partners. And he was solely dependent on the income from this engagement with Newman Law LLP. He didn't have other customers, clients. He didn't have other engagements that he was undertaking. The tribunal said that they found that he had limited flexibility whilst he was able to work from home and did so he still had to let the firm know what he was doing and there was this degree of control over him and that was what led them to the conclusion that he was a worker. There was no obligation on the firm to provide him with a salary and so they weren't satisfied that he was an employee but they did say he was a worker and as such he was entitled to to make a claim for unauthorised deductions from wages and the sum that was awarded to him was £92.48 for that claim. So it wasn't very expensive for the firm but obviously there was time and management involved in defending that claim which they did internally. The second part of this is that he was also successful in arguing that he had been provided with no written particulars. So under section one of the Employment Rights Act, he was required to be provided with some written particulars in relation to his engagement and it was accepted that none of these had been provided and therefore the Employment Tribunal awarded two weeks pay to Mr. Guller for the failure by Newman Law LLP to provide him with any terms, which the Employment Tribunal calculated as being £252.11. And the total, therefore, that Newman Law were required to pay to Mr. Guller was £344.59. So whilst the value of this case was not high, there is a finding against the solicitor's firm here in relation to how they dealt with Mr. Guller. And of course, as I said, there would have been considerable amount of time involved in defending this case. Yes, they're a firm of solicitors, and by the looks of things, they handled the case themselves. They didn't have representatives dealing with it for them. So it wouldn't have actually cost them anything to pay out. But of course, there is management time involved, and also there's the reputational issue here. As I said at the very beginning, the reason why this case came to my attention was because it was reported in our sort of trade press, if you like, in the Law Society Gazette. So this firm have this claim that was made against them and the judgment set out in public forum by way of being reported on the Employment Tribunal website and also by way of being reported on the Law Society Gazette. And of course, other firms and other people have used this case as an example, including this podcast, for um, employers and HR professionals to understand some of the interesting points about employment law and uh, the rights and status of employers and workers. So it doesn't look good for the firm. So how can you avoid such a potential case. Well, looking back at what has been decided in this case and the points that have been raised in the employment tribunal, there are a few things that you can take away from it. The first is obviously making sure that when you make an offer to someone, it is very clear what that offer is and what that entails. So of course, it's okay to have discussions with people 
verbally and making those offers and considering things but when you then come to refining it and concluding it you need to make sure that whatever you put is in writing and then you need to make sure that it is followed up by a contractual agreement which sets out exactly what has been agreed and that needs to be done and signed before the person starts. Now aside from the fact that this worker in this case, Mr Guller, was given a payment of two weeks pay, it was only £252, so not huge amounts of money, but still if the firm in this case had set out their contract for services with Mr Guller right at the very beginning, then it would have saved them a lot of time and a lot of hassle in defending this claim. It would have enabled them to deal with it very quickly and if Mr Guller had continued to pursue a claim despite what was set out in writing and what was agreed at the beginning, then it could have resulted in them receiving their costs in defending the case. So what I would say is it's absolutely critical that if you are engaging someone other than as an employee, that you're very clear about what the status of that person is and how they're going to be afforded any rights or what responsibilities they have in the future. So looking at the situation, are they a worker? Do we need to deal with this and set this out in writing? And then following it up in by way of a contract that you both sign before they start. All too often, we see employers and businesses rushing into contractual obligations and relationships with people without setting up the terms in writing in advance. Now I, I know that there are times when you need to act quickly to secure someone but really it will help you to resolve those issues if you have things set out in writing even if it's a couple of days after they start. Ideally it should be before they start working for you for all kinds of reasons but not least because it prevents these problems and also protects your confidentiality and all of those sorts of things but it should at least be dealt with within a couple of days of them starting. So to conclude I think I've probably laboured the point but what can you take away from this case? Well you need to be very clear about the status of people when you take them on especially if you are not affording them employee status from the outset. If you are considering that your relationship is something other than employer and employee, you need to be very clear. It needs to be set out in writing. The terms need to be agreed and you need to understand what your obligations and risks are. I will, of course, include a link to the full judgment in this case in the show notes so you can have a look for yourself. If you have any questions about this case or you have any situations within your own business where you're not sure about the status of a particular person or you have concerns that you haven't really expressly set things out in writing, then please, please get in touch. We would love to be able to help you to resolve this and to prevent issues from arising for you in the future. You can contact me directly. My email is alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk or alternatively you can telephone the office on 01983 897 003 and we'll be very happy to arrange a time for a callback with a solicitor for you. 
Many thanks for listening to this week's podcast. I will be bringing you the next episode in two weeks time. And of course, if you have any suggestions, please let me know and be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn or any other social media as I would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you, that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast, but please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.